Our scripture reading today is from Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. And if you are willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all who, what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of God. Thank you, Jeremy. In this opening section of Romans chapter 13, Paul is helping us learn how to live as Christian citizens. Uh, we plan to have at least one more sermon on this text after today. Last week and this week, uh, we focus on the basics, the, the main emphasis, the plain meaning of the text. So last week's main point was, if you want to live to honor King Jesus, you will willingly submit to and obey the governing authorities that God has appointed in your life. We began with the command in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So everyone, including you, is to give a willing submission that includes obedience to the governing authorities. With our outline of Romans in mind, we said that our lives of gratitude for the grace of Jesus that has cleansed us from our guilt are to be marked by a willing submission that includes obedience to the governing authorities that God has appointed in our lives. And in rendering this obedience to the governing authorities, we bear witness, not ultimately to their authority, but to the high, higher, the final authority of King Jesus. So we submit to the civil government because we are bowing to the authority of Jesus. We saw that this is the foundation for this command in verse one. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So God is the ultimate authority who institutes all others. So the reason that we are to be subject to the governing authorities is ultimately for the glory of King Jesus. Now the Bible does give exceptions to this basic command but not here in Romans 13. Paul does not address any of our questions, any of our exceptions. Lord willing, we'll come back and do that next week. But this week, we want to look again at one of the basic teachings that Paul gives us on this topic. 
And today it is looking at the role of the governing authorities, the responsibility that they have before God. Our main point today is this, governing authorities are God's servant for your good. Governing authorities are accountable to God. They are servants of God. They are his ministers. And they are to fulfill their duties for the good of the people that God has placed them over in three clear ways. They are to be a terror to bad conduct. They're to be an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And they are to collect taxes in order to establish and maintain order. We'll look at that in just a moment. Four weeks ago, some of you may be aware of this, about four weeks ago, something evil, something awful happened in Elizabethtown. And 11 11 days later, something hard, but something good, and I would say just, happened in response. First, four weeks ago, a man brutally assaulted a person in every way in the garage of a home in a neighborhood on a Sunday morning at 8 a.m. It was an evil, shocking crime in both its brutality and its boldness. It's a kind of bad conduct that the governing authorities are to be a terror to. The kind of wrongdoing they are to avenge as the rightful conduits of God's wrath. Then about 11 days later, the suspect, the fugitive, was shot and killed by federal marshals in Elizabethtown. And that, though hard news in many ways, especially for the family of that man, was also good news. It was just and right. Now details could emerge which could change this judgment, but from what I have heard so far, what the authorities did was just and lawful. They have the authority to defend and protect, to be a terror to bad conduct so that my wife or my daughter who lives in Elizabethtown did not become this man's next victim. This is one of the purposes of the governing authorities that we should thank God for. Governing authorities are God's servant for your good. That may be a hard example. We'll come back to that a little later. But the first principle to note as we consider the basics of this passage and the role of the governing authorities is this. Governing authorities are accountable to God for how they use their God-given authority. They are servants of God. They are his ministers. Look at verse 1 again. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So again, it's important to note that God Almighty is the one who institutes all authorities. And thus, they are accountable to God for how they use that authority. This passage is talking about the governing authorities, but this is also true in the home, with parents, with husbands. It's true in the church, with pastors, with elders. It is true anywhere you find authority. We are accountable to God for how we exercise that authority. In this passage, Paul goes so far as to refer to the governing authorities as both servants of God and ministers of God. Verse four, he says, for he is God's servant for your good. 
And then he repeats it later in the same verse, for he is the servant of God. Many of you know the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and the word that's used for servant here is the word diakonos. It's the word where we get uh, our word deacon from. It means servant. In verse 6, Paul says the authorities are ministers of God. And the Greek word there is the word from which we get our word liturgist. So the civil magistrate, the governing authority, they're not an officer in the church, but his office in the world is a type of ministry. John Stott says this, he was an Anglican pastor, and perhaps he's intending to grab our attention, but he said it this way, those who serve the state as legislators, civil surgeons, civil servants, magistrates, police officers, social workers, even tax collectors, are just as much ministers of God as those who serve the church as pastors, teachers, evangelists, administrators. Now the point here is not to confuse the two. It's not to confuse these ministers of God with pastors or elders in the church. It's a different word. It's a different calling. It's a different function. But the point is to recognize that the God-appointed governing authorities serve society by ministering on God's behalf. They also have been given a specific role by God, and they will answer to God for how they serve in that role, for whether or not they fulfill the duties that God Almighty has given to them. So this is the first thing to note regarding the responsibility of the governing authorities. Governing authorities are accountable to God for how they use their God-given authority. They are servants of God. They are his ministers. Paul says they are God's servants for your good, and then he lays out three specific responsibilities that they have in this passage. So let's begin first. Governing authorities are to be a terror to bad conduct. Verse 3 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. It's probably safe to say that many of you have had this experience. I mentioned it in a way last week. You're driving down the highway and you see a police car and all of a sudden your heart starts to beat faster and the adrenaline starts to rush and you might start to sweat a little bit and your foot might go to the brake pedal. That's what's supposed to happen if you are speeding. Now, my wife Amy has often in the past pointed out police cars while I'm driving. And in her defense, I will say she's not on the lookout. She is not my partner in crime. She is simply trying to get me to slow down. If I would listen to her, if I would listen to my conscience, if I would listen to Romans 13, I wouldn't be speeding in the first place. I'm working on it. But I do remember the last time that this happened several weeks ago. I'm, I'm driving along 283 and Amy points over to the police car, and I have that very reaction. (gasps) The adrenaline comes, and I look at the speedometer, and I wasn't even speeding. It was wasted terror. I didn't need to be afraid. And that's the point of this passage also. That's what Paul is saying in verse 3. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one in authority? then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. 
So if you don't want to be afraid of the governing authorities, then do what is good. Why? Because their God-given responsibility is to give approval to those who do what is good while being a terror to those who do what is bad. So in this way, the governing authorities are God's servants to be a deterrent to bad conduct, to restrain evil in the world, to restrain sin and lawlessness. Do not murder, do not steal, do not do violence to people or to property because if you do, you will be punished, you will be put in jail or worse. It's the responsibility of these governing authorities to uphold the law and punish the lawbreaker, to be a terror to bad conduct. Or we could put it positively. The governing authority's God-given task is to protect the life and possessions of its citizens. Now, you might already be thinking governing authorities often get it wrong. We're not talking about that this week. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And Paul goes on and he says, The government does, or they are to, approve what is good. Kevin DeYoung says this means that government ought to enact policies that encourage, that normalize good behavior. So the wise magistrate with good laws and the fair execution of justice will nurture the cultivation of personal responsibility, the pursuit of healthy family life, the establishment of economic conditions that reward hard work and productivity. These are all traits that God extols in his word. This is what is good. So Pastor Ji Young will say, says that government is at its best when people can be confident of two things. First, no matter who I am, what I look like, where I'm from, how much I possess, what connections I may have, if I am violent towards my neighbor or towards his property, I will be punished. And then number two, no matter who I am, what I look like, where I'm from, how much I possess, or how many connections I have, if I follow the rules and do what is good, the government will approve and encourage that behavior, perhaps by staying out of my business and protecting the conditions for me to get ahead in life. The government has this role to protect life and promote good behavior. We can see this, this role and how Paul encourages us to pray for those in authority. First Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, Pray for kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Well, Paul then gives us a second way that governing authorities are to be God's servant for your good. The governing authority is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Look at verse 4. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. As we study Romans 13, don't forget it comes right on the heels of Romans 12. So we had a little break with our Advent series, but if you brought your Bible, you can turn your page back to Romans chapter 12. You can see the context. And remember, the argument of Romans 13 is in part an answer to the exhortations that we have in Romans chapter 12. 
So Romans 12, 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19 says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In Romans 13, through the governing authorities, that is one way that the Lord repays evil. It's one way that the Lord begins to take vengeance. Beloved, we trust our holy, righteous God to execute perfect justice. And on the final day of judgment in his kingdom to come, he will. But God also executes justice to a certain extent now through the ministers and servants to whom he has given the power of the sword. Now, the power of the sword is not given to the church. It's not given to individuals. It is given to the governing authorities. Well, what is the power of the sword? What did Peter do when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus? He pulled out his sword and he cut off the servant's ear. Now, Jesus rebuked him for that, but the sword is what? It's an instrument of force, an instrument of violence. Do you know what God feels every day? What God feels every day. It might surprise you. Psalm 7 tells us, Psalm 711, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Do you know what indignation is? It is wrath. It is anger against injustice. Psalm 7 tells us further, God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. So one of the ways that God expresses his indignation, his wrath, is through the governing authorities, by giving to them the power of the sword, the right to use force to punish evildoers as an expression of his righteous wrath on the evildoer. Beloved, God is a God of justice, and governing authorities are to reflect this as those who have the authority of the sword given to them by God. God has appointed these governing authorities for this very purpose, to be a reflection of his wrath and his judgment, to carry out his wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, our present governing authorities are to serve God in this way. They often get it wrong. They might not see all the evil that is being done. They can make mistakes. They can fail in their duties. Or worse, they can be corrupt. They can be evildoers themselves. So they are not able to judge perfectly or to execute perfect justice in every case. And we should not put our hope in their ability to do so. Yes, we hold them accountable to this God-given task. And at the same time, we put our true hope in God, the judge of all the earth who will always do what is just. God is able and he will execute perfect justice in every case, every sin will receive its just punishment. The account will be settled. 
At the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we're told God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So God is going to judge every evil deed with perfect justice, and he will approve every good deed with a just reward. Now there's both a comfort and a call for us in this good news. There's comfort in the fact that you may be mistreated today. You, you may be suffering under someone else's wrongdoing. And the governing authorities may not know. They may not see. They may not get it right. Other people in your life may not help. But beloved, God sees and God knows and he will not let it slide. We can find comfort in the fact that in the end, on the final day, justice will be done. Those who trust in the Lord will be vindicated. Every evil act will be brought to the light and called to account. And I do pray that God will comfort you in this area as needed. But I would also urge you to cry out for help if you are suffering in this way today. If necessary, to cry out for help to the governing authorities or perhaps to the elders in your church, to other friends, to other professionals who may be able to help. There is comfort in this truth. But there's also a call to us in this truth. God will judge every evil deed with perfect justice, every sin, will receive its just punishment. The account will be settled. This is a problem for us. Because we have learned in Romans, we are all guilty. So if every sin will receive its just punishment, what about your sin? What about my sin? It must be paid for. And here, our only hope is found in Jesus, who came to save his people from their sins, amen? When Jesus died on the cross, God was pouring out his indignation, his wrath on sin. Justice was being done. God was pouring out his wrath on every sin of every person who would ever believe in Jesus. On your sin, beloved, if you trust in Jesus today. And this is your only hope for forgiveness that you trust in Jesus and you thank him for this wondrous salvation and then you pray that everyone would share in this mercy of Jesus that is found at the cross of Christ. Well, we're also told that God will also approve every good deed with its just reward. Again, our governing authorities don't always get this right, but God does. Now, this also is a problem for us because Romans 3 says, there's no one who does good. No, not one. There's no one good but God alone. So God in his mercy sent his son to save us. Yes, to save us from our evil deeds, but also to sanctify us, to change us, to help us learn, to help us turn from doing evil, to refrain from evil and do good, to help us learn how we can not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Beloved, this begins by repenting of our sins, owning up to our own wrongdoing and trusting in Jesus, not only to forgive us for those sins, but then 
to change us. So we ask for his help and we depend on his help to be changed, that we can do justly, that we can love mercy, that we can then walk humbly with our God. The governing authorities are avengers. They carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So the federal marshals in Elizabethtown had the right to bear the sword. The victim, the victim's mother or father, you and I, we do not. We do not punish the wrongdoer. We do not put to death the murderer, but the governing authorities can. Finally, verse 6 tells us that authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Well, what thing? Collecting taxes in order to establish and maintain order. So God tells us in his word that governing authorities have the right to collect taxes. And our God-given duty in response is to pay these taxes. Verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. I don't know if anyone likes to pay taxes. If you do, I'd be happy for you to pay mine for me. But we can pay taxes as obedience to King Jesus, as an expression of our trust in Jesus, actually as an expression of our love for Jesus. So I think this is truly true, that this can transform even how we pay taxes from drudgery into joy. Not the joy of giving our money to things we think are even wicked, but joy in obeying King Jesus. Why are we doing this? Ultimately, because Jesus is our King and Savior. It transforms something even as daily and practical as paying taxes. Now, I think it's always been a struggle. It's always been a question for believers. 20 or so years before Paul wrote these words, the Jewish leaders asked Jesus about it in Mark chapter 12. Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? And Jesus had that famous answer. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. So Caesar, the governing authorities, they have a God-given right to collect taxes, so we're to pay them. But beloved, God alone has the right to demand your worship. So you worship and serve him only. As we think about the responsibility of the governing authorities today, it reminds us of the need for governing authorities in our lives. It's one of God's gifts to us to restrain evil, to encourage good, to establish order in society. So we should thank God for them, give them their due honor and respect. We should heed the counsel of our brother Ron Ziegler. Complain less and pray more. Pray for our governing authorities. Pray for our brother Ron and his ministry as he goes to them and he, he prays with and for them. So we respond with gratitude to God and with prayer to God. But I want to close with one more thought. You know, how are we to view that awful event in Elizabethtown, the crime, and then the suspect shot dead. 
You know, in the eyes of the victim, the mother of the victim, our hearts are broken. They're broken at the depth of suffering. And we are right to want justice. But then in the eyes of the mother of the criminal, think if that was your son or your brother or your father. Again, our hearts are broken at the depth of sin. And we want mercy. And beloved, the only hope for both is found in Jesus Christ. They both need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And beloved, Jesus is a beautiful and wonderful and glorious Savior. And he is also a righteous and just and powerful King. And so we as his people in receiving his word this morning and obeying these commands and learning how to live as Christian citizens, yes, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. So we pay to God, we pay to King Jesus what is owed to him. Repentance and faith and obedience and worship. He is the only judge who will always do what is right. He is the only avenger who will right every wrong. The only authority, the ultimate authority, who will never make a mistake. He will never be influenced by corruption. He will never abuse his power, but he will always use it for good. To serve and to save and to sanctify. So all praise and worship be given to King Jesus alone. Amen. Amen. Amen.